The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Hello and thanks for joining me for another episode of Climate Matters. I'm Lindsay Wood, Director of Climate Strategy Company Resilience Limited, and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net and podcasts of Climate Matters and of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, today we bring you the last of our um, interviews with candidates for the Nelson Tasman region and today we are talking with Blair Cameron, who is the National Party candidate. But before we go to Blair, I want to give you some hot news of quite a different nature. Some listeners will know that uh, Resilience, my firm, sponsors the Trucking Towards a Better Future competition. We do that in conjunction with the New Zealand Trucking Media, New Zealand Trucking Mag and other organisations. And this year, for the first time, it's actually gone international. We've been picked up by South African publications. So that's really exciting. Anyway, the 2023 competition has just kicked off. It's running through till the 15th of November, and it's open to try and tap into the thinking and intellectual property of truck drivers over the whole country and in South Africa to try and help us decarbonize our heavy transport sector. The competition runs to the 15th of November. There are $7,500 worth of prize money up there, and we've got uh, judges from New Zealand and overseas. So hopefully, you if you know anybody who's a truck driver and you want to tap them on the shoulder, go for it. They might have heard about it on New Zealand Trucking Radio 24-7. They might have read about it in New Zealand Trucking Magazine, but we'll also put the um, a link to the Um, trucking media website where they'll find information, the terms and conditions, and also um, a whole lot of little articles I've written supporting sort of creative thinking and trying to stimulate ideas in this area. So hopefully that's of interest to some listeners or people that listeners know. And now let's get on with the interview with Blair Cameron, which I hope you enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Blair Cameron, Nelson's National Party candidate, to this episode of Climate Matters. Blair grew up in Canterbury, studied in the US and worked internationally before moving to Nelson three years ago. Building on a BA in international relations, his career is focused on improving public sector performance, including research at Princeton, working with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, and now online from Nelson in Stanford's Leadership Academy for Development. Ken Arque Blair, a warm welcome, and many thanks for joining us on the show. Kia ora, Lindsay, and thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great, great to be involved. That's good. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, so let's get into it. Um, I'd like to open just by inviting you to tell us why you're standing, because you bring a pretty interesting professional background. Um, you, there are likely a lot of reasons why you're standing for Parliament, and because this is a climate-focused show, and I have to say that your, uh, your bio notes don't say anything about climate, uh, I'd like you to give our listeners a sense of where climate issues rank among your own personal reasons to stand and why it ranks that way. 
Yeah, absolutely, Lindsay. So I'm 32. Um, so I'm, you know, climate is obviously for my generation uh, one of the biggest issues for all of us, um, and as it is with me. Um, you know, my bio note's probably a bit short, um, and some of the things that material that I put out um, does go into a bit of my background and what, what I have done um, in the environmental <laughs> space. Um, so, you know, for example, um, you know, I grew up in Meffin and just went to the local, uh, local school down in Meffin, but then I got a scholarship to go overseas. Uh, and while I was overseas, I, I learned to scuba dive, specifically so that I could work for environmental NGOs working to protect coral reefs. Um, that sounds and, good. And so, yeah, so, I mean, there's nothing that really highlights the climate crisis more than diving on a bleached reef that has been, hmm. you know, it's like walking through a, ga- a graveyard, right? Uh, right? Seeing the dead corals that have been affected by rising seawater temperatures. Um, so I, sp- I spent, you know, two years uh, working for different environmental NGOs on um, reef protection issues. Um, while I was at university, I spent three months of every year uh, working uh, with an environmental NGO in the Amazon rainforest, um, working on forest protection efforts with indigenous communities there. Uh, so that was three months every year for five years. Um, and I've, uh, it, you know, it's, it's sort of environmental issues, climate change issues have always been a major priority for me, a major passion for me, uh, and that goes uh, for me moving forward as well. As I, you know, am, am embarking on a new career as a politician, and I've only <laughs> been a politician for a few months, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. And uh, you know, obviously, all the things that I've been doing before are things that I will continue to be passionate about um, in this new role. Awesome. That's a, an interesting and good answer. Thanks, Blair. Appreciate it. Okay, let's move on to national party policy. Um, with climate change, change such a huge issue, it's surprisingly hard to pin down nationals policy. You and I have even chatted about the fact that it's unfolding in a slightly predict- unpredictable way. I even approached a senior lecturer or senior researcher for a lead. But the nicest thing he could say was that national apparently don't believe in a cohesive policy release. Uh, how would you persuade Nelson voters that National really offers climate strategies with the potency to safeguard future generations from escalating climate impacts? Yeah, so I, I'd push back on saying that we don't have coherent uh, policy releases because we've released I, uh, you know nearly 40 policies so far. I, I would say, though, that, that's not only my experience, but that's a, a researcher saying that as well to me. Well, I'm a research, I've worked in research as well, and I can say that's a, that's a pretty, uh, you, you know, I don't think that's accurate. Um, so uh, let, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll carry on. Keep yeah. going. Uh, so National is absolutely uh, committed to uh, delivering net zero by 2050 and by implementing um, good climate, good practical climate change policies in order to to, to meet those goals, uh, we've. Uh, I, you know, I, I think you said that our, our policies have been unpredictable, and again, I would push back on that. No, that was the un, the releasing of them I was talking about there. The release, uh, the, the, because when we've talked about it, we've talked about delaying this interview until they were released, and then you've said, well, actually, you don't know when they're coming out. They're coming out. In a yeah. piece at a time. Yeah, so that, that's what that, I was referring to. Okay, I, I understand. Yeah, so we've, we've, we do not release all of our policies at once because mm-hmm. we want to make sure that they all get covered by the media and that people have a chance to learn about them. Because mm-hmm. if we release them all at once, the media wouldn't be able to uh, uh, cover them all in one day. Uh, so they're s- sort of staggered out. Although um, you have on, got a full agricultural policy. I mean, keep going. I'm interrupting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we, we do have a policy on agriculture. And part of that policy is on reducing agricultural mm-hmm. emissions, um, which is something that 
uh, we're absolutely committed to. It's not, um, you know, agriculture is a, obviously a very significant part of New Zealand's emissions profile, and it's absolutely essential that we give farmers the tools that they need uh, to get emissions down. Uh, so that's part of it, is reducing agricultural emissions, and the uh, one of the other big parts of it is reducing transport emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a major focus um, for, for us. Uh, we have a plan uh, to... Uh, Increase massively increase um, New Zealand's network of electric vehicle charges. Uh, we at the moment we have about twelve hundred in New Zealand. Um, the next national government will deliver ten thousand electrical mm. electric vehicle charges mm. across the country. Um, I mean, I drive an EV, uh, have done for a few years, and it's uh, absolutely the way that New Zealand is moving. Much more people are taking up. Uh, the opportunity to purchase EVs and to drive EVs because of uh, the uh, environmental benefits um, and climate change benefits that driving EVs uh, offers. So again, that's in tandem, right? So Mm -hmm. we're rolling out those EV charges. We also want to make sure that the electricity uh, to power those EVs is going to be renewable energy. So National also has a policy to double New Zealand's production of solar and wind energy when we get into government. I think solar and wind energy are really low-hanging fruits um, for New Zealand. It's something that we don't uh, perform at as well as a lot of uh, similar countries. And so rolling out um, much more solar uh, energy and much more wind energy production I think is absolutely critical for getting our transport emissions down, but getting our, 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 our future um, uh, our future energy production into into uh, as much renewable as possible. Okay. Well, look, thank you for that. Transport is the next question I wanted to ask you. So let's segue into that, Blair. Um, National advocates major new highway infrastructure. That won't surprise you. The National's not the only one doing that. Yet decarbonising transport is a key climate strategy, and you've just referenced that. Expanding highways, however, and um, urban arterials especially, are known to attract more development, leading to more traffic, congestion and emissions. As our region is already among the world's most extreme per capita private car users, How will National ensure that, for example, the proposed Hope Bypass will help reduce emissions and not be a catalyst for more high-carbon greenfields development and resultant escalating traffic emissions and congestion? I'm glad you mentioned the Hope Bypass because this is something that I've committed to delivering and I've worked really hard to make sure is actually included in the next national government's Roads of National Significance Policy. And I'll tell you why, and it's because it's absolutely necessary for our region. And if you wait at the lights in Richmond and you see the cars and trucks and uh, vans and all the vehicles lined up, and and public transport buses lined up at that uh, intersection every day, sometimes for, you know, up to an hour at a time, I don't think anyone thinks that all those vehicles sitting idly in traffic is helping um, helping us with our climate change goals at all. No, but, um, but part of that question is that the, a lot of that traffic is the result of low-density subdivision further out. And the question is, how will you ensure that the Hope Bypass, which they're, they're known to produce what's known as induced traffic, and that is promote generation um, development around their end, mm-hmm. So how will you ensure that that isn't an unintended consequence of building the bypass and suddenly we get, like so many arterials do, 
an escalation in the scale of congestion, worse discharge into cities, and the problem is just magnified after three or four years after it's opened. Yeah, I, I absolutely understand the concept of induced demand. What I'm saying is that this road is essential and we need to have a world-class highway there that's going to be able to A, get goods from Tasman that are going to our port there uh, on time and on schedule. That'll be good for our economy and good for business. Um, but we also need to make sure that people um, aren't just spending you know that, that amount of time stuck there every day. Whatever, whatever you know, in, uh, in Nelson and Tasman's future, we need to have a high-quality highway there, not what we have there currently. Yes, I understand um, the issues around induced demand, uh, and uh, we, you know, we. Uh, if you look at our housing policy, um, our housing policy does allow for greenfields developments, but is also really focused on um, intensification on in the, in the CBD and on public transport routes. Um, for example, I don't see any good reason why we shouldn't have uh, six-storey housing in the, in the Nelson CBD. Now, we don't want to be doing that, um, that intensification across the board or you know, willy-nilly all over the city, but if we have really f- good focus policy that delivers um, intensification where it makes sense, and I'm talking about places like the CBD where people can walk to work, um, won't necessarily need to have a vehicle uh, to get around day-to-day, that's what we want to be delivering. Uh, so you know, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to look at the Hope Bypass in isolation. I want to look at it in, t- in terms of um, a suite of policies that we'll be delivering, um, which will include intensification um, of housing in the CBD as well. It, that's a good answer in many ways, but it's it's also a bypass around the question I asked, and that was how are you going to prevent the Hope Bypass being a catalyst for more greenfield development and more induced demand? Um, the other things you said, it's there is a traffic problem there. But how do we know that this isn't going to be just another of those arterial highways that looks like it's going to ease congestion and in the end magnifies it? Yep. So there will absolutely be uh, new housing that will go in, um, not just in the in intensification CBDs, but there will also be greenfields developments. Um, that is something that you know I'm actually happy with because if you look at the housing crisis that we have in Nelson Tasman, we need more housing. Um, I want to see as much of that as possible in intensification in the CBD, public transport routes, other places that it makes sense. But yes, there will be new greenfields developments as well. Okay, well, I wish you luck with the as much as possible bit in the CBD, Blair, because um, the legacy of our new arterials points the other way a bit. Okay, agriculture. Let's get on to agriculture. Unlike my comments for um, National Party policy on other sectors, National does have, and what I'm quoting here, a plan for reducing agricultural emissions. Uh, When I read it, a phrase that jumped out at me was, we will review methane targets to ensure their consistency with no additional warming from agriculture. For listeners, I want to just repeat that, no additional warming from agriculture. Surely this implies National are in reality offering a plan not to reduce agricultural emissions and don't seem to see agriculture playing any meaningful part in actually meeting the country's decarbonisation obligations. Given that ag accounts for 49% of gross emissions, that also makes it incredibly tough on all the other sectors that must then carry the full burden of national decarbonisation. That's national as in New Zealand (laughs) decarbonising. How does the National Party reconcile, firstly, the seemingly huge inequity and resultant climate burden on different sectors, and also the conflicting messages between the document's title about reducing emissions and the statement I just quoted about 
no additional, just limiting it to no additional warming. I don't think there's conflicting messages at all. And I think if please you look, explain. <laughs> if, if you look at the if you look at the policy in full, you'll note that we are absolutely <coughs> committed to reducing agricultural emissions. However, we want to see that happen in a way that doesn't just reduce New Zealand's emissions, <coughs> but also reduces global emissions. And if we have, if we're not, uh, if we're not supplying that food in New Zealand, it'll be another country that picks up the slack to produce and supply that food. That'll be a bad for New Zealand's economy, but it will also be bad for global emissions because New Zealand farmers are comparatively some have some of the lowest carbon footprints in the world um, for the production of the food uh, that we, that we make. Um, so the, when you look at our reducing agricultural emissions policy, it is really focused on ensuring there isn't leakage. And that's why we are looking, really looking at embracing new biotechnology, giving farmers the tools that they need to reduce agricultural emissions in a sustainable way that doesn't uh, result in leakage to other countries. Yes, uh, we, we do want to see uh, farmers uh, reduce their emissions. Yes, we will be supporting them to do that. Okay, thank you. Interesting. I, I just want to check then, if I go back to the consistent with no additional warming what is the point of that statement in the policy? Uh, I don't see where that fits with what you've just been talking about. So no additional warming. We it says we'll review methane targets to ensure their consistency with no additional warming from agriculture. Right. So if if we put really if we put really strict <coughs> methane targets on farmers in New Zealand now, and they don't, and there's no technology available and no tools available for them to reduce their methane emissions in a sustainable way, that um, then what we're going to see is we're going to see that production. We're going to see farmers go out of business here and that production shift overseas, which will result in additional warming globally. You haven't convinced me, but uh, <laughs> it's, it seems to me a little bit that, that we've got a, a, a bob each way. We'll only do as much as we'd have to do to match other people overseas. So when, in terms of our competitors no, and so on. Yeah, no, and, no I, I, I wouldn't characterise, characterise it like that. Um, New Zealand, absolutely, we need to meet our... Uh, climate change emissions reductions targets, um, net zero by 2050 mm -hmm. being the primary um, one that we absolutely must meet. New Zealand needs to meet those targets, um, not just because it's going to, uh, it, it, will, it will, will help us uh, uh, make progress on, on limiting climate change and limiting global warming, but because when we meet our targets, it gives us a much stronger voice when we, we, we go and negotiate internationally with our partners and we're asking them um, to make those reduction targets. You know, I've spent time in, um, through my work, I've spent time in lots of the countries that we do need to reduce their emissions because it's going to have a much bigger global impact. Places like Brazil, places like Indonesia, mm. places like India, places like China. We need to meet our targets so that when we go into those international negotiations, we have a really strong voice in asking those countries to also meet their commitments. Isn't that, though, a, a thing, Blair, that we we have to get on to now rather than say, oh, we'll wait until the technology is available or whatever? You know, at the, I mean, I've been to a couple of ag and climate conferences, and the messages that come through there are that, you know, lots of other places, islands often use as an example, are way ahead of us on the trajectory to reducing their agricultural emissions mm. with uh, much more buy-in from farmers, although it's more the sort of stuff that farmers here are resisting. And so I'm interested 
to to hear your take on on where that sits in terms of what you've just been talking about. And I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned international examples because we need to learn what, from what's happening overseas and make sure we learn from that when we're applying things here here in New Zealand. Um, we also need to make sure that we, we give our farmers the tools and the technology to do it. Um, for example, biotechnology has something that has been uh, really held back um, from being developed in New Zealand. It's safe if it's well regulated. We're, um, we're spending an astronomical amount on bio research, though, aren't we? It's the the, the ag budget for research is blows everything else out of the water pretty well. And, and we absolutely want to be doing that research and we want to be mm. adopting new technologies and letting farmers here in New Zealand uh, use those technologies to reduce their emissions profiles. Um, definitely, we want to be learning from what's happening overseas as well. Um, and I think that's what our policies um, really targeted at. We're partnering with farmers, giving them the tool they, tools they need, supporting them through that process. We're never going to make any progress on it if we demonise farmers and we, and we try and put them out of business. Mm. I'm with you on demonising farmers. I think we need all the bridges we can and less division than we can. Um, you're doing pretty well keeping to time. Thank you, Blair. But we are starting to run tight on time. One of the things that I enjoy, and I know my listeners enjoy too, that I want to invite you to to tell us briefly what your own personal favourite climate strategy would be and why a vote for you would be the most effective way for Nelsonians to vote if they really wanted to maximise Aotearoa New Zealand's climate response. Yeah, so I think I've you know articulated to you that I am a very... Um, strong advocate on climate issues. I'm a member of the Blue Greens uh, within the National Party. The Blue Greens <laughs> is the group within the National Party that advises uh, the party on uh, climate change issues, right. environmental sustainability issues. Um, and I'm a very strong advocate for um, action on this and action on wider environmental issues, including biodiversity um, as well. Uh, so a, a vote for me is a vote for a really strong environmental advocate in the next government. Uh, I, you know, when we're talking about policies, um, I'm. I think I mentioned to you that I, I drive an EV, and I do think it's a good thing if more New Zealanders um, make the shift uh, mm. to EVs. Uh, we are going to make sure that um, those EVs are powered by renewable energy, more solar, more wind energy, and we're also going to make it easy for people to make make the switch by um, investing in ten thousand public EV charges across the country. Correct. Um, Can I just flick in to say, is that your favourite policy? Which is the way the question was phrased. You've you've just presented it as a national policy. Yep. Yep, and that's a policy that I've been advocating strongly for. Um, okay, yeah, right. Well, look, I think on that note, we'll bring it to an end. Thank you so much for joining us. You've got an interesting time coming up, a bit of a cauldron of an election, so yep, we'll be interested can, in the results. And, but. and can I just say one last thing before we go? So I've just I've just been up at the National Party's uh, campaign launch in, in Auckland, um, and I you know, our party is absolutely committed um, to meeting our, our uh, 2015 net zero emissions goals. Um, at, the, at the party launch, Chris Luxon laid out his eight, uh, his eight commitments to New Zealand. I've got the wee mm. uh, pledge card that he made there. You'll note on there, deliver net zero by 2050. Okay. Thank you for that, Blair. Go well. Namihi kia koe. Well, thank you, Blair, and thank you, listeners, for uh, joining me for that particular episode of Climate Matters. I hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, I hope I also have your company again next week when I will be giving my commentary on what I've learned from the political candidates and uh, in other cases from the manifestos, and that will be the last Climate Matters before the election. So hopefully I have your company again then. In the meantime, have a great week and Kia Kaha for the climate.
The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.